gentlemen, boys and girls, and I like to say children of all ages, just like the ringmaster used to say in the circus. Well, my friend Valerie and I were talking about circus and the way they treat animals. We're doing a whole nother show here on the network about animal advocacy. So I, maybe I shouldn't be talking like them at the circus. But I like to consider myself the ringmaster sometimes, bringing people together. It's your boy, the nonprofit sector connector, Tommy D, Tommy DeMisa. And on this program, Philanthropy and Focus, Philanthropy and Focus for me is really an answer to a challenge or a question that I feel exists in our world. Nonprofits, I believe, change and impact our society each and every day, every minute of every hour of every day. And I always ask this question, if it wasn't for these nonprofit organizations and their visionary leaders and the teams that work with those leaders, who would do this work? Who would serve the parts of uh, the, the individuals and the communities in society that really need services? Uh, I'm not sure that the government would be able to do it alone without interacting with the nonprofit sector. So that's that's my mission. My mission is to help these organizations amplify their message and tell their story. So I believe nonprofits are underfunded, as we many of us know in the sector, overlooked and unrecognized at times for the work they do. Um, my answer, well, that's the Long Island Railroad. Long Island Railroad wants a little recognition as well. So it's driving cruising past my, uh, my attic here because, you know, I do the show from the attic and the railroad's right here. I realize no matter where you go on Long Island, the railroad is right there. So um, it's certainly right here next to my house. So I have to kind of call it out because it showed up. So uh, these organizations are unrecognized in a lot of ways. And my answer is to shine a light and amplify the message. And that's what philanthropy and focus is. Yes, it's a podcast. Yes, it's a radio show here on talkradio.nyc. After the show, it turns into a podcast. But I really, uh, to be a little bold, it's a movement. It's a movement to show that service and philanthropy is not just guys and gals in suits writing big checks. It's about people on the front lines making an impact, serving our communities day in and day out. I have I have such a I'll say it because it's become kind of a funny thing. It's pretty cool being Tommy D. And <laughs> I say that because I get to meet great people. I get to meet visionary leaders, and I I don't. Uh, I'm actually a little nervous and anxious. I've done 27 of these episodes and I haven't really been nervous since the first one I did back in uh, in January with Katie McGowan. But I'm nervous because today my guest is John D. Kemp of the Viscardi Center. And I'm nervous, John, and whenever, uh, just come off mute before you start speaking. Um, but I'm nervous because John is the CEO of the Viscardi Center, but that's, that is, uh, that's just part of the byline. You know, John is an incredible leader in the in the disability space. Uh, he, he's an advocate. He's a leader. He's he's made such an impact. And I do have some things. I'm not going to just rip off the top of my head. I do have some things I want to read about John's background and bio. But uh, I'm inspired, John. I've been watching videos and doing research last night and into the morning again. And I, I must tell you, before I even read your bio, I, I am, I'm appreciative of you spending time with me, investing this time with me. I appreciative of your friendship and thank you for being here before we even get started. My, my pleasure, Tommy. And I'm so proud of you and the fact that you're bringing this information to the communities that are served and reached. So thank you very much for having me. Well, you're, you're welcome. And I appreciate your gratitude for sure. Um, I'm going to just do a little bit of bio because I think it's important. I don't, I, I think nobody tells our stories better than ourselves, but I will read a little bit if I can. So, um, so, John, you'll talk to me about, you know, your, your disability and, and, and what, uh, what you're working through and what you've been working through for, for your life. But John graduated from Georgetown University in 1971, uh, received two honorary degrees, doctorate of law from his alma mater at Washburn, and a second uh, doctorate of humane letters from the University of Connecticut. In 1995, co-founded the American Association of People with Disabilities. You've done work with political leaders. You have a, a great affiliation with the Dole family and the, and the foundation there. I watched the video. I was telling you earlier today in 1991, I watched the video. I, it, was, it was a bit dated and, and, you know, I wasn't, I was around in 91, you know, I was born in 78, but I look at, you know, kind of the, the, uh, the video technology that they used in that video and you go, wow, that was only 91. I thought we had some more stuff going on than that, but uh, it was very funny to, to watch that, but it was, it was poignant. And a lot of what came up in that quick piece there when you would won the uh, Horatio Alger Association Distinguished American Award and you became part of that association. It was a lot about your dad. And I, I, I could tell and I watched other videos and listen, you know, some on Viscardi and some other places. And it was a lot about your dad. So I'd love to 
I usually ask my guests, okay, cool. Tell me what got you started in service work and what drew you to nonprofit and things like that. But obviously your story um, starts differently. You know, it was, um, why don't you, what can we start there? Let's take it from there. I mean, let's, I, I know the story, but let's, let's share with my, my friends and the community and people listening way back to, you know, 1949. If you want to start back there, I'll, I'll kind of let you take it away. Great, Tommy. Thank you. Uh, my dad is my hero, uh, and he passed away about 12 years ago. But it was a just an, he's, he was just an incredible person. Um, I'm the middle child of three. I'm the only one that has a disability. Uh, I have a sister that's four years older, and a sister that was born 11 months after I was born. But I was born without arms or legs, off at the elbows and the knees. So my arms are off above the elbows. So I have artificial arms and elbows. And I have a left leg that's off just above the knee and a right leg off below the knee. Uh, but I can walk around on my knees, which is very helpful. And I can drive a car with my knee, um, with my right leg, so I can operate gas and brake. But that's really to say my dad started his life uh, born in Montana. And his parents homesteaded and the government gave them, my, my grandparents, land in northeast Montana where there were more grasshoppers than there were, you know, wheat stalks. It was just the most brutal land to be given for free. And of course it was free because nobody was moving out. There <laughs> so they were giving it to him. My dad was the oldest of, of five children and they had one bedroom where his parents, my grandparents lived. And, and slept and they the rest of the kids slept around the fireplace and this is like a woes me not story this is about they didn't know how poor they were they didn't care everybody worked on the farm they had to figure out how to get to school by horseback uh, and so my dad knew tough times and he knew what what challenges were and he knew what resilience and, and the and the power of the human spirit was all about and so he ended up realizing that education was critically important to him, and he brought that forward to us. So he he ended up getting two master's degrees. Um, you know, served in the in the military in World War II. Uh, just a remarkable guy. And then he married his love of his life, uh, my mother, in 1944, and. By the end of 1950, December 31, 1950, she passed away of ovarian cancer, leaving him with three kids, and he was 32 years of age. And a I was 32 year old man, three children, just lost the love of his life, and and he has a son with, with some disabilities that correct needed to be addressed. But but had 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 this resilience, grinding it out, you know, on the farm, where, you know, and and living that life. One one did you say one room or one bedroom at back of the house? One bedroom in a yeah. in a small house. Yeah, and he was one of five children, right? Right. right. I, you know, I, it's I don't know if funny is the right word, but it's just interesting how. Um, Sometimes I get up on my soapbox and it's, I know it's around here somewhere in the attic because I stand on it a lot. So, so um, gosh, man, I, I just wonder if we all had, had grown up like with, with, you know, that sort of challenge, if you will. But that was a lifestyle for people that versus I need new sneakers because I've only had these for three months or, or whatever. You know, now I'm sounding a little judgmental, but guess what, gang? It's my show. So I sometimes I get judgy. But it's, I think if we all, I, I, tell, correct me if I'm wrong, but somebody like your dad was, knew what it was like to grow up, to have to work hard and have to hustle and not have things handed to them. I mean, I, I brought it up on this program before, I think, you know, I was 11 years old delivering newspapers, 12 years old, wash, 12, 13, washing dishes in a deli my uncle owned. And, you know, that was it. Haven't stopped grinding it out ever since. Um, something to be said for, for working for what you get. Um right that lifestyle and his, his youth, uh, having not known that story until just now, but knowing the story about when, when your mom had passed and things of that, that nature, um, what would you say, not that you could be prepared for that, but would you say he had been built up for that? You know, somebody who didn't have the background, talk a little bit about that if you could, because I think it plays all right into your story, right? Right. And, and this is, this is really the essence of, of who I am is because, my dad had gone through such challenges and put himself through through college and graduate school, you know, from that incredibly difficult, challenging life in Northeast Montana with 50 below winds and, and winters and all that 
crazy stuff that, that people run away from today. Um, he really just had the ability to flex and move and do what was necessary. And so when I was born with and without my arms and legs um, fully extended, they, they were just missing. Uh, it, you know, it was sort of like, I can take this, I can handle this, we can figure it out, we'll figure out what best to do, you know, and then, you know, my, my mother starts getting sick right after my little sister was born uh, in, in September of the following year. I was born in October of 49, and my little sister was born in September of 50, so we're, I guess we're Irish twins. Oh, we've always claimed it. Yep. Uh, Sounds like then, it. I, got, I got cousins like that. Yep, I know what it is. <laughs> You know, my 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 mother never got well after um, giving birth to my sister, and they spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, okay, what's gonna, what are we gonna do with John? What's what's gonna happen with John? And she was still not well, and she ended up going back into the hospital on Thanksgiving Day uh, for exploratory surgery. They found that she had just a lot of cancer, and she died on December 31, 1950. And so my my dad was like, okay got a child with a disability and my, my wife and the love of my life just died. And I'm 32 years old. What I'm going to do. He gave each of us three kids to each of his three sisters. And we spent three months. And, and I don't remember any of this because I was too young mm-hmm. with them. Uh, and while he got his act together and he was a, an incredibly uh, faithful person in terms of be- believing in, in God. And he just happened to be a, a deep, deeply devout Catholic, incredible person. So I've just got to say, you know, I think between faith and his resilience as he grew up, he just, you know, decided that I was going to live as good and normal a life as I could possibly live. And that was the commitment that they made to each other, that I would go to public school if possible, which I did. I I went to kindergarten with other kids. And from then on, it was just like, I'm going to keep up and I'm not, my dad was never going to tell me that I couldn't do something. I was going to have to learn it the hard way. I actually, Tommy was going to be a pro baseball player. I, I know, I know. And and he never, what I was listening to last night, one of your speeches, he never said, that's not going to work, John. Right. He never, <laughs> he never told you that. Like, never How great is that, real. man? How awesome <laughs> is that? I love exactly. that. You know, that's exactly what happens. If you tamp people down and, and, put them in a box and say, this is, these are only the dimensions of your life. This is all the, this is the narrow pathway you're going to follow. You never get to explore everything that you could possibly do. So parents, I'm just saying to parents, the best thing you can do is let your kids fly, keep them obviously safe and sound, uh, but let them try and let them, let them explore, let them do things that they, that you didn't think that they possibly could do and um, not to be irresponsible, but it's just really incredible. But like how far can they stretch, right? How and and the the op, I think the opposite is 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 in fact the truth. Had had you know, let's not say you, but a, another John Kemp and 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 your dad in another scenario who who said, well, my son has this disability, and I, I have a friend who says, um, disabled by the label is is a way he's refers to it as his son who who's on the autism spectrum, uh, who's an adult who, uh, and is capable, works and things like that, but has made comments where, uh, you know, I think he doesn't want to uh, earn too much to lose out on his, his, um, his support from government support and things like that. But, but, but this young person is very capable of doing things. So um, there's so much mindset that goes into this. So let's not, not to detract from the obvious that, that there is a disability and there is something that we need to work around. But what I, I mean, I'm like in watching some more videos this morning on, on, um, there's a young man, I was going to reference this later on, but it's on your website. It's on YouTube. Young man, uh, Chris Alvarez, um, from the Visipidority School. I mean, watching his, him speak and I, I see how you're kind of lighting up. So you know what I'm talking about. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, I, I can't, I want to meet Chris one day. He says, you know, I was a shy kid and I turned into a wise, outspoken young man. I was taught to have confidence and have goals. If you want to have goals, this is the place to be. That's he referring to the Scardi and the Scardi school. We at that point, guys, we're going to take a quick break. I, I will be back here in just about 90 seconds. John Kemp and I, so much to talk about, John. We'll be right back. Have you ever thought of reinventing yourself? Are you looking to create a new life's journey? Hi, I'm Kevin Barbaro, host of Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 5, 8 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live to hear me and my guests from a variety of different backgrounds. 
As a former college coach and a current full-time actor and owner of multiple companies, my show is as eclectic as my life. That's Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through Into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. I guess you should get out a kick out of the uh, the lyrics the first time they hear them. And I laugh at it only every single time I hear that song. That's my buddy, Brendan Levy, Uncle Brendan. Thanks for doing the jingle. It's been a few weeks since I shouted you out for doing the song for me. So uh, I'm very appreciative of that song. Um, one of my boys, one of my sons calls me Mr. Static right now. He no longer calls me Tommy D. He calls me Mr. Static because it's in the attic and his whole thing. So if I ever leave the attic, John, I said, if somebody comes to me and says, we're going to give you a show, Tommy D. And we want to, there's a movie out a bunch of years back and some people know it. Some people never heard of it. I'm sure young people never heard of it. Wayne's world was a movie and they gave Wayne and Garth get this show and they're going to give them the show and they create Wayne's basement, like in a studio. So listen out there. TV land. If you ever want me to do this show in the real world, you have to create an attic in, in the studio and I'll come into the attic and do the show there. Um, otherwise, the song wouldn't make any sense. So that's how it's going to have to go. So back to uh, back to business, as we say. Um, John Kemp is here. You're the Viscardi Center and so much more, John. Uh, right before the break, we were talking about you know, you're growing up and the inspiration your dad was. And I just started talking about Chris Alvarez over at Biscardi because I was inspired by listening to him speak on this video this morning. And I brought it up because it was to, to me, it was a mindset thing. It was your dad ins- instilling and inspiring a certain mindset. Um, the, the, the Viscardi Center instilling in the school, Henry Viscardi School, inspiring a mindset in the in the uh, young people that come through the school. Um and and certainly, you know, I've been to Viscardi on tours. Um, hello, Lauren Mars, all my buddy. Um, so I hope you're listening, Lauren. But um, Lauren's taking me on a tour, and, and I love this school, and I love the story. I want to get into later on just um, this the story about Henry Viscardi when we and and I and I'm I'm guessing I'm have to imagine there's some some parallels between your story and his story, and and if not, let's make some up and create them on the on the spot right here. But I, I think there probably are some in, in knowing a bit about his story. So I, let's go back. So I, I, let's fast forward a bit. You're 11 years old. What, what, how do you get this opportunity that you had with, um, with Easter Seals to go around and be the poster boy, 1960, um, to kind of tell the good news, tell the story, of, uh, just take us there. Take, it, take us down that road if you could. I went to a camp. Uh, East an Easter Seals camp in North Dakota where we were living. And, you know, North Dakota, like Montana, has two seasons. They have winter and the 4th of July. That's it. <laughs> all right. That's all they have. I don't um, like it ready. I don't, I don't like being cold. I'm, I'm right, done. No, don't go there. But, you know, it's, they're, they're great people. Talk about hardy. Yeah. Uh, so I went to an Easter Seals camp, a six weeks residential camp. Those things don't exist anymore. But mm-hmm. six weeks, I went to this camp in Jamestown, North Dakota. and I got to, I realized that I, I always thought I was the only kid with a disability in the whole world. 
You know, I never saw any other kids with disabilities. They weren't in my school. They weren't in my community of Bismarck. Uh, and I think this is true for a lot of older folks who grew up in a sort of excluded, um, you know, we, we were exclusively the only ones with disabilities in our, in our communities. That's not true. So I go to this camp and there are all these other kids with disabilities. I'm like, where have you been? They're, they're, <laughs> staying, they're staying at home, getting educated at home. Or right, because you because you had been to school, you'd already been going to school. You as as early as kindergarten, you said your dad. Right. And in in in, in you're talking. I mean, what what could you been talking about? Fifty five, fifty six. In that time frame, young people with disabilities were not going to school. That's your I, that's your point, right? That's my point. Yeah. Uh, and if they if they were, I mean, they, it really took a federal federal law uh, in the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. Uh, in 75 that became effective in 78 to really mandate that kids with disabilities had every right to a free appropriate public education. So I was already living it. So now, now we fast forward to, you know, to when I was 11 years old and I was then because I had gone to an Easter Seals camp in the state of North Dakota, I could be nominated to be considered as a national poster child for Easter Seals. And they picked me. I don't know why, but they picked me. Uh, so I'm getting on planes with my dad. We're flying to Chicago. We're flying to New York. I was on the Today Show, uh, <laughs> coast to coast, go, giving speeches. I uh, got invited to Australia. It went to Australia for 22 days, visited lots of rehab centers and uh, community organizations, just went all over the place. It was like the most mind-expanding period of my life. And I was just this kid in, you know, from North Dakota going to a little Catholic school and had never seen the world. And all of a sudden, were you taken? Did you feel like at such a young age? Did you because you know all these fifty some odd sixty years later? You know who you are and the impact you've made. Did you think of that? I, I mean, I have an eleven year old, and I and and she's sharp. She gets it. And, you know, and I'm I'm wondering as an eleven year old, did you say, "Oh wow, here there's something here." Like, not that I don't know that we can all envision 50 years down the road when the impact we will have made. But did you feel where you're like, oh, wow, this is actually a responsibility, John. Like, this is cool. 22 days in Australia. But like, there's something here. I'm supposed to be doing something. I was starting to make that connection to what impact do I have on humanity? And I wasn't it wasn't forming. Uh, it was forming. It wasn't clear. Right. And I realized that there are so many other people who are in such need and they live difficult lives. And my dad made my life so comfortable and easy and, and fortunate, even, you know, you can say, gosh, North Dakota, no arms, no legs, you know, going to school. I never realized I had, had a difficult time. My dad always made it work for me and for my family. I mean, I got, I had responsibilities. I had chores. I had, I got spanked when I was, was sassy. I, you know, he, he was, he was not afraid to like get tough with me and it really helped me, you know, be a, a good person. But what, what I think the nonprofit part of all of this is that I started to realize that there are so many needs that people have even to today and probably more so to today that I, I began to create a bit of empathy and understanding that there are people who are not as well off, not as well as fortunate in, in the circumstances into which they are born or, or are being raised. And, they, and there's a lot of suffering out there. And I started realizing that this is not what the life that I have. And I really want them to have the kind of life that I had. And my dad was a government worker. We were middle class and, you know, we never had lots of money, didn't have a pool in the backyard. I shared a bedroom with my dad until I went to high school and we, wow. we moved to Kentucky. So it was not like a woes me, but it was just like, we were just ordinary people, but we never were felt, we never made to feel like we were poor and that we also had a responsibility for understanding other people's circumstances. So we would help other people at holiday times and throughout the year. And my dad was just such a great thinker and, you know, positioning us. My sisters are both nurses you know, so I mean, it, it, we're just all helpers. We right, no surprise that that everybody's in service, right? Right, exactly. And I and I think everybody today listening is should commit themselves because I think a lot of young people today really do commit themselves to service. And high schools now really say that that's part of your curriculum is service to your community, which is phenomenal. And then you and I get here to Viscardi, which is just an unbelievable place. 
Viscardi School, the Viscardi Center, abilities for adults, adolescents and adults, just a remarkable place. We serve, with, with 400 employees, we serve 2,000 people, the most severely disabled students that you, you have seen, like a Chris Alvarez, who's one of 12 people in the world with his condition and the longest living person in the world with his condition. And when he speaks, it's like Gandhi is speaking, you know, like some, the words that come out of his mouth are just so visionary and so whole and complete. And he's just a remarkable guy. You will, you will love having him on the show. I would love to have him on my show. I'd love to have, have, uh, I'd love to hang out with him. I'd love to cut Chris. This is an invitation. I, I, when, when I'm allowed to, uh, you know, COVID restriction wise and whatnot, when I'm allowed to come visit, uh, down in Viscardi, let's hang out, man, because you're an inspiration. Um, what, you know, what I don't, I do mention it sometimes on the show, but, we have a family foundation. My cousin Linda passed um, about nine years ago and Linda had special needs. And, um, you know, we grew up with Linda in our lives and we grew up um, having an awareness, a keen awareness of what it's like um, to have a family member who, who has uh, different abilities. And I have another cousin who, who has some uh, different abilities. And, um, you know, John, I, I feel like as a society, I think we're more aware. And you talk about young people in service. Um, I guess there's such a, you know, there's, there's so much history. And, and like you said, even when you went to that camp and you realize, oh, wow, look at all these other individuals with disabilities. Where where were you guys kind of deal? I um, There's certainly been an evolution. And I mean, you've, you know, the, the arc of, of change you must have seen just in, in your own 70 some odd years on on this planet right from from 49 to 2021 i mean it's it's a different world so um inclusion um it's something we talk about all the time and it's it's a big word and it has so many meanings but from you know not to make it just a pointed question but we're moving in the right direction we're not there yet right i mean we're going in in the right right but we're going, we're moving. The ball's moving down the field, right? If we, from a football. Life is getting, life is getting better. Right. You know, for the, and just in broad strokes, life is getting a lot better for people with disabilities. But there are always new challenges and new kinds of disabilities. And now we got the long haulers and COVID, for example. Yeah. We don't even know what that's all going to mean. But they, these are going to be kind of newly created status of disability uh, because of COVID and and people are going to have these kinds of conditions. So I do think that our sensitivity uh, is raised and has been raised over my lifetime. Uh, And people, people don't go out of their way usually to say, uh, I don't like people with disabilities because disabilities are us. Uh, Everybody has a person with a disability in their family, if it's not themselves. So it's, they know they, and they know that one disability really well, but they may not know the broad spectrum of disabilities, mental, physical, emotional uh, disabilities. And so it's a constant, and, and that you can acquire a disability in the middle of your life by an accident or an, or an illness. Incredible. Yeah, it, it's all incredible. And, you know, not, not to get the risk of sounding kind of trite, we, we all do things different. We learn differently and we have different ways to engage. And, and, you know, Chris is getting a lot of play on our show today, but Chris makes a a mention on that video and he goes, I can do what other people do. I just do it differently, you know? And why can't that like be the thing? Like, why is that not like now I'm up on the soapbox. I think I'm carrying, I'm on two of them now. I feel it. But like, why guys, and I had Michael Kramer from the corporate source on a couple of months ago. like, wh- why is this even okay? Like, why is this a thing? Like, why is it okay to to not treat people? This this goes across. This is not just people with disability. I don't understand why we treat people of different colors and, and race. It's the human race, John, isn't it? It's not like different races and what, right? Aren't we one human race? Right. I, why can't, I think this thing should be so passe. Like, it's like, we, of course we don't do that anymore. That's ridiculous. Like, we, we don't mistreat people because they learn differently or they have a they're different color of skin. Like, oh, gosh, yeah, we used to do that. That's ridiculous. We did in the past. But, like, something we would chuckle over. That's what I – that's like, maybe I see the future and, I, I, you know, I'm a visionary about that. I, but that's a world I would see. And, you know, what I thought about – before we're going to go to break in a second. What I thought about this morning was as you were working towards um, – as an advocate, as a leader in this space for rights for people with disabilities, 
I never thought of it in these terms of how closely to the civil rights movement, you know, was that? And maybe we could start with that when we come back from this break, but I, I didn't even, I never thought of it in those terms and shame on me, but it just wasn't as obvious. But there must be something there. So especially in the time periods that were going on at the same time. I mean, when I looked at, you know, the Rehabilitation Act of 73 and, and then 1990, ADA, the amendment in 08 and all that, I was like, these timelines are so kind of something here. So I'd love to talk about that when we come back. I also want to talk about Henry Viscardi, the, the man, the individual, and then let's talk uh, Viscardi Center and let's just dive uh, dive deeper into this. Maybe we'll get into programs and stuff like that when we come back. Sounds good? Great. Great. Awesome. Everybody, we'll be back. Two minutes, philanthropy and focus. Yo, boy, the nonprofit sector connector. I'm in the attic. I'll see you guys in two minutes. Bye. Do you feel uninformed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern time, 3 p.m. UK time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. That's right. Come through the static. Join me in the attic. Join me in the attic. 10 a.m. every Friday morning, Eastern time, where we talk about nonprofits. But what I want to start with is we talk about the ripple effect. What is the ripple effect? What is the ripple effect of John Kemp? What is the ripple effect of Henry Viscardi? What is the ripple effect of you listening, doing a day of service? We talked about service really for a tiny bit there in that segment, John, and I want to underscore quickly. But I'm going to do 60 days of service. I'm in the process. I'm on a campaign. Today, it's, it's the it's July 23rd. I've done four. That leaves 56, everybody. So if you run, sit on the board, are the executive leader of a nonprofit organization, reach out to me, Tommy D at philanthropyandfocus.com. That's my email. I want to do a day service. I'm doing one on Tuesday with an organization called Little Flowers, which is in the foster care space out, out in uh, Wading River. I'll be out there Tuesday doing some great work with them. Not about me, gang. It's not about me doing service. It's about me inspiring. Maybe a day of service a month is appropriate for you. Maybe a day of service a year is appropriate for you. If you're a wild man or woman or kid and you want to do 60 days of service, hey, join me. I have room in the car. I'll take you out to do some service with me. But I think that's what's important and what's special. John Kemp is with me. Talk about service. Talk about the ripple effect. What is the ripple effect of one man making an impact in this space? I think it's massive and I think it goes on infinitely because we affect others' lives and they affect others' lives and they affect others' lives and the ripples continue to grow. Right before the break, John, I asked you about sort of a parallel and we didn't prep for this. So let's just play around civil rights, civil rights in, you know, um, 
in the black community similar or different from from what we, what goes on with disability? Can you speak to that a little bit? I can. Uh, it's very very similar, and yet there are some differences. Um, most most people uh, with disabilities acquired their disability after birth, so only seventeen percent of people with disabilities started their lives with their disability. And 83% acquired their disabilities after birth. So I'm a 17 percenter, but just think of all the people with disabilities that you know, and most of them acquired them through accidents, illnesses, and the like. So disability is always, almost always very new to the person and their family or their spouse. High divorce rates after uh, a, an acquisition of a disability. Um, you, go, you actually get into a, a a vortex, a, a spiral downward, where if you acquired a disability and you have some assets to end up getting better benefits, you have Services. to spend yourself into poverty wow. so that you qualify for some of the other things. So we're not, we're not there yet in terms of our advocacy uh, and getting things done right and done well and, and forcing people basically to stay away from work and don't make any money uh, to be able to live a decent life is just wrong. That that's, counter, that's counterintuitive. That doesn't make any sense. Totally yeah. right. That's what public policy is right now. So we've got we've got to change those things. But I, this is not about being negative. I think the parallels that you were talking about in the, to the civil rights movement, that's a difference from um, African-Americans or Native Americans mm-hmm. or any other group that starts their lives with their identity. Some people change their identity, a gender identity in the middle of their lives, and they have to go through a transition, much like people with disabilities who started their lives as non-disabled and become disabled. So in, in, in essence, we do track along the same kind of treatment once we have our disabilities, like other people uh, from other protected class groups. We are excluded on arbitrary conditions. Uh, and it, and we are, are thought to be less intelligent. We are thought to be less capable. And like Chris Alvarez would say, I can do it. I'm just going to do something differently. Right. And, and that's really the, the the message that I think is getting out there right now. You know, and, and in that Chris Alvarez piece, you mentioned uh, your voice comes on after and, and you speak about just the creativity that comes out of people with disabilities out of, I guess, just plain necessity to put it bluntly, right? But but to that to do things differently, you find other ways to make things happen. But you know what does that create? Creativity inspire Pro- greatness too, right? Like great things happen out of the the need to. This doesn't work. Going at it this way, I got to go around it. So how do I figure out how to go around it? What's the most efficient way, right? Exactly, Tommy. You know, I we're natural born problem solvers, or we are problem solvers. And I'm just going to hold up my my prosthesis. Yeah. These are old school prostheses, by the way. These are old school. These are hooks. They're, they're prehensile clamps that open and close. I have to figure out if I've had fried chicken or something the night before, can I get a doorknob twisted? And that's why you see lever handles now instead of shiny round doorknobs, because more people can use that kind of equipment. But we, you know, how do I dial a phone? How do I carry my stuff to the car? How do I drive a car? Yeah. How am I going to, you know, schlep stuff in and out. So it's, we're always thinking like three jumps ahead of what we're going to need. So if you ever see somebody in a wheelchair that just has like bags and stuff, you know, stuck on their chairs, it's because they need their stuff within reach and they can get to it. It's sure. that it's not that they have a briefcase and they can neatly put it up, you know, away, you know, their stuff away someplace. They need to be able to reach their things, their phones, their paper, their books, whatever it is. be accessible. Need to be accessible. Stuff needs to be available. So, you know, we're we're in this incredible space now where the built environment by law is required to include people with disabilities as part of the human condition that has to be met. So buildings now rarely are ever built without consideration for physical access. That's moving into the information communication technology space. And we're really starting to look at why aren't videos always captioned? Why, why are we not offering multiple access points and methodologies to digital information? Uh, because as you said earlier, people learn differently. Everyone's a, got a unique learning style. And so when we go to our school 
and our kids have severe disabilities and they're medically fragile, we basically are customizing education for every every student. Now, every parent they literally out, customized individually, individually, and and this is what I'm going to say to all the parents out there. This is what you want for your child too, with a without a disability. You want someone to understand how your child best processes information. You probably know as well or better than anybody. So your input as to how my child learns is really incredible about how the how this how the teacher and the school can customize that learning process for that student individually. So every kid in the world should have an, a customized, individualized education plan and program. And yet it's mandated for kids with disabilities. Right. And that's where so I you're, say. So, you're, so if I'm hearing you correctly, John, you're saying that every student should have some sort of IEP. Absolutely. Individual education plan. Some right program. Everybody should have like their, I, I don't disagree with you, man. I, I you know, I, I, districts might disagree with us, but I, you know, um, well, they but, just can't afford to do it. Well, that's the reason, right? And I guess if they had the money, they wouldn't disagree with us. It's, it goes right. further up the food chain than that. That's I, right. I want to, I just want to move to a different topic because, you know, unfortunately time in life is limited. So when, I want to draw this parallel. I think, tell me about Henry Viscardi. Tell me the story. Did you know him before you knew the Viscardi Center? Yes. Okay. Can you tell us that story? This is, um, this is sort of like incredible that I'm here. And I'm, I'm the fourth president and CEO of the Viscardi Center. Yeah. So here I am in 1960, the National Easter Seal poster child being introduced to the public in Chicago with my dad. And I'm sitting in the audience and soon I'm, I'm going to go up and do just meet everybody. And it's a, you know, probably 500 to a thousand people in this, you know, big ballroom. And the keynote speaker at the luncheon is Dr. Henry Viscardi. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I don't know this guy from Adam at all. Not, don't know him at all. My dad's sitting there and he's, he's listening to Henry Viscardi give this kick butt speech. I mean, hellfire and brimstone. He was, he was so upset about the poor treatment that people with disabilities were getting in the employment area and then education area. And so he's going, he's just, he literally took his speech and ripped it in half and he says, I gotta, I gotta get this off my chest. And you know, he was furious and, and, you know, at the system that, that people with disabilities were living in. So, and he's talking about how he started the, the Scardi Center abilities. He called it abilities. The ability still is here. Yeah. And, and so in the middle of the speech, my dad puts his arm around me and says, you can be like him someday. And it was just like, there's your role model. You, you said something in one of these videos that, you know, one of these, some of the folks that go to the school come to your office and you tell them and somebody commented on how they loved your office. And wow. And you, so what I just heard you do in that video now going back, an hour and a half ago was you were living Dr. Henry Viscardi was sort of living through you, his messaging, you're continuing. There's the ripple effect that, that we talk about so much. So did you, did you say I'm going to be the CEO of his place one day? Like we, as an 11 year old, not at all, right. but, but it stuck with me. And by the time I got to through high school and, and to Georgetown university, Easter seals came back to me and said, we would like you to join the board of directors, the national board of directors of Easter Seals. Uh, I'm 18 years old, and and they put me on the national board with 24 business men and women, mostly men, white men. And I'm I'm there, and I'm watching everybody, and I keep watching the executive director, the the Henry Viscardi of Easter Seals. Yeah, she was just incredible force. She was powerful, and and I started thinking, you know you know, this, that wouldn't be a bad life, you know, that would not be a bad life to, of service and, and make adequate money and make it a profession. And I was always looking at her and thinking about Henry Biscardi and, you know, so be it. I, I started guiding my career in that path of working for nonprofits, worked for Easter Seals, ran into Henry Viscardi numerous times along the, the, the path. And, and he was a force of nature. You just cannot believe this guy. No wonder he started this place from nothing yes. and did social enterprise as a nonprofit. Right. So, when there was no such thing as social enterprise, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it, yeah. A remarkable guy. Remarkable. Absolutely. And if, and if you are on Long Island and when appropriate to learn more about Viscardi, you got to check this place out. You know, and again, COVID and, and obviously some um, that 
fragile uh, health issues with the individuals at the school. So we obviously have to take that in mind. Don't start showing up at Biscardi, folks. <laughs> that's not how. That's not what I'm telling you to do. But um, <clears throat> we talk about connections when we come back from this quick break about what the school needs, you know, what the whole Biscardi program needs, and who you want to connect with. Uh, I, I want. We're going to take a quick break, John. But when we come back, what I really want to talk about is if we could just dive into that relationship when you get this opportunity ten years ago to take on. The, the role come, take, become the CEO, um, and then some of the programs and things like that. We had a we had a, one more segment of uh, of my time with John Kemp. It flies every weekend. You know that it's Tommy D. Philanthropy and Focus. John Kemp, current CEO of the Viscardi Center. We'll be back in two minutes, everybody. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauber, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. You still got a request. Maybe it's a request. Maybe I just come by the attic every every now and again, visit with me, listen to me talk to visionary leaders and nonprofit organizations on my show, Philanthropy and Focus. I like to go up and down, John, be dramatic with my voices. I think it is for effect. I think people get excited about. It. Yeah, you agree with me? John Kemp agrees. It's it's a given now. We're it's, we're locked in. Ups and downs, ladies and gentlemen. I'll do stuff like that. So so John, you, you meet Mister Do- Excuse me, Doctor Henry Viscardi over the years, and you, you didn't say like one day that's going to be my office kind of deal, but, but it is, it is your office currently. And um, talk to me about when you got the opportunity and then let's roll right into programs, the school, the whole thing. So people know, like, let's give them a, a, a kind of a tour, an audio tour of, of Viscardi. Uh, I was in my law practice in Washington, DC, disability um, legislative practice, trying to influence Congress to do better and do better and do better. And out of the clear blue comes the CEO of then of Abilities, Viscardi. And he said, would you ever be interested in this position? I said, no, I got, I'm, I'm a partner here. I worked my way up into partner. I'm all good. And he said, no, he said, I just wondered, wondered if you'd just come up and look at the place. And I said, sure. Got on plane, came in. Had you been prior to that? I had been once and, and I had this vague memory of going in the gym and there was a conference going on in there and I, so it was just a long time. It wasn't anything way back in like yeah. 20, 20 years ago. Yeah. Flash. So I, I come in and I start moving around and then kind of like you, Tommy, you start, you start drinking the, you yeah. know, 
he knew exactly what he was doing getting you up there he said if i get him in this building we got him right exactly that's what we that's what we say it's like if you want to get somebody to really understand what's going on they have to feel it yeah and and you do feel it when you come in and you see the, the how dedicated the the staff the teachers and the the therapists uh and just the administrators, just everybody is focused on just helping these kids. And, and we live by our three E's, education, employment, empowerment. So we have high expectations for our students. And we talk to them all the time about you're doing this because you're going to go out into the community and you're going to live an independent life. And it's going to be a good life for you. Uh, so it, it's all about taking really severely disabled kids who are referred by school districts to us because the school districts aren't accessible or they don't have the support services they need. And the alternative for these kids going to school here would be to stay home and have two hours of instruction max a day, or go live in a hospital and have two hours of instruction a day. So that's not acceptable to us. So, so you're able to take care of them and take care of their medical needs and their educational needs in right. If that's what I'm hearing. So, absolutely. so they get, they can get as much of the full day as possible versus trying to, you know, do you bounce around to different places right you bring it all together correct and there's technological and human supports as well sometimes you need somebody to assist you in going to the bathroom or or handling papers or you know just handling stuff feeding eating that that might need somebody to assist you with that so it's it's a wide spectrum of of those kinds of things but the students are all that we intend for our students to graduate and to go out and get continue into college or get a job. And we create that expectation early on. Uh, Federal law says that at the age of 14, disabled students have to start putting together a transition plan that says, so that when they get to 18 or 19 and they graduate, they're not shocked. Like, what am I going to do now? They've already started at 14. We start ours in kindergarten. So when somebody says, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you say, I want to be a firefighter. You say, well, what do you think it's going to take to be a firefighter? What are you going to do? What, what, what do you think you're going to need to know to be a firefighter? So it's just about creating the expectation. I will give you one factoid that is so impressive to me and, and should be to your audience. 86% of our severely disabled, medically fragile students who graduate go to college. 86%. This is 86% go to college of our graduates. And that is far above what public school is and about 25% higher than disabled students across the country mm-hmm. and, and who are graduating from high school. So we are doing something incredible for very severely disabled students. And they're and they're going on to big schools, including my alma mater, Georgetown, and then law school. And Judge Rob, Rob Papilla on our board of directors went to our school, law, law school in Albany, uh, you know, and now is an elected judge in Nassau County. That's awesome. Just an incredible guy. What great stories. And, and obviously he sits on your board, so he's still involved in the community. And I love the, the comeback stories when, you know, when because of this institution, I grew and did this and, and I want to be a part of it going forward. So so let's talk about where, um, you know, kind of the future, the future for John Kemp, the future for the Viscardi Center. I mean, you know, what what this is kind of the part where I talk about connections and things that the organization might need. But talk a little bit about the future. Well, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm obviously family is extremely important to me. And um, I married this beautiful, beautiful woman who's got the biggest heart in the world, loves Viscardi as much as I, I do. And she came from, in, from Birmingham, Alabama, and her kids and spouses and our five grandsons, who are all teenagers, yep. all live in Birmingham, Alabama. So eventually... And sooner or later, I will be in Birmingham, Alabama, and we will be in Birmingham, Alabama. I'm in my early 70s. I'm not done yet, not by not by a long shot. Uh, but you know, sooner or later, I'm going to be in Birmingham. Very cool. Very cool. What do you when we talk about Viscardi in the future, Viscardi? Are there certain things that Viscardi needs? Are there certain things that? Uh, my people, my my connections, the people listening in, you know, aside from John, we all talk in nonprofits. Yeah, we love checks, Tommy. I get it. I know. But past that, what sort of connections? Is there something going on? Is there an event you want to talk about? I do. I, I thank you for allowing me. I will, I'll just give you two quick ones. One is we have a, a golf event on Sept- September 20th 
uh, and a golf outing, and it's at the Mill River Club here on, on Long Island, beautiful place. And we'd love to have any of the golfers out there that want to participate, please let Viscardi know. You can go to our website, viscardicenter.org, and you can find our golf out, outing right there. Uh, and just send, send a note, and we will follow up with you right away. About a month later, on October 19th, we have a Reach for a Star luncheon that supports the after-school programs of our school. And this is incredible because we have an independent living home on our property here, a freestanding home that is fully accessible, including technologically accessible. So kids who can barely move one finger can operate their cell phones and answer the door, answer the phone, um, learn how to cook, learn how to you know get along with the other students over there. Juniors and seniors will spend one or two nights a week uh, just learning how to live independently in the independent living home. So it's it's just fantastic. That's Reach for the Star. Give me the date on that again. October 19th at Crest Hollow. And the golf outing is September 20th. September I will 20th. tell you how I know that because, ladies and gentlemen, it is blocked out the entire day on my calendar because it is a 60-day of service that I'm doing. Thank you, Lauren Marzo, for giving me that opportunity. Thank you, Tommy. So, I do love to play golf, but I think, you know what, when I got a, I get a quote of 60 days, John, I got to make an impact. I got to start working that now number. Um, I do not want to spend the entire month of December <laughs> doing service just to get it all in. We're glad well, to help um, you. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad you're helping me too. And I guess what I'm saying too, is like, if you're looking, you know, Lauren said there might be opportunities for other volunteers. So contact me if you want to be part of what, what I might be, what I am doing and what you might want to be doing as a, from a volunteer perspective. And you can run that through me, Tommy D at philanthropy and focus and focus, you know, by now is P H O C U S John, I got to wrap up the show in a second here. So what I want to do is I want to thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your leadership, obviously of Viscardi, but for your leadership in this space, for all you've done, for all you're going to do. I, I say this, I get mushy and emotional at this point, but thank you for what you're doing. You're making an incredible impact. The ripple effect is infinite. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you. I, I, I'm getting all verklempt myself. I got to tell you, I, I'm so proud of you and I'm proud to call you my friend and you're a friend of Viscardi for life. Thank you. Uh, and thank you for educating all of us about the power of philanthropy and nonprofit world. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, man. I want to give you a hug, but we can't do that because I'm in an attic and you're not. So I will come by the center and give you a hug as soon as I can. I'll give you a fake virtual hug right now, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody else. Thanks for being here. Every single Friday morning we do this. We amplify the message for nonprofits. You want to get in touch with me? Check me out on the TikTok. <laughs> check me out on the Instagram. I'm dancing. TommyD.NYC on TikTok and Instagram. Email Tommy D at Philanthropy and Focus. Watch us on Facebook. Stay tuned for the program coming up. Steve Fry has a friend of ours, Ginger Johnson. It's always Friday. Jeremiah Fox right after that. Uh, Joseph McElroy rounds out the uh, the four block here on Fridays on Talk Radio. WMC. John Kemp, make it a great day. Have a great weekend. Everybody else, make it a great day. I'll talk to you all soon. Bye now. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Did you know that nearly one in five adults in the U.S. battles mental illness? Hi, my name is Albert Dabba. I'm the host of the show Extra Innings. Extra Innings, I discuss the topics of wellness, mental health, and the experience of surviving multiple suicides within my family. Listen live every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern to Extra Innings for discussions with sports figures, artists, mental health professionals, and many others. That's Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. 
Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Have you ever thought of reinventing yourself? Are you looking to create a new life's journey? Hi, I'm Kevin Barbaro, host of Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 5, 8 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live to hear me and my guests from a variety of different backgrounds. As a former college coach and a current full-time actor and owner of multiple companies, my show is as eclectic as my life. That's Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 